thankful in spite of trouble. That phrase sums up the life of the Old Testament character Job. Does it apply to your life as well? Hello again, friends. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and you're listening to Encounter God's Truth with Bible scholar Dr. John Whitcomb. Today, Dr. Whitcomb begins a very special series by that title, taken from the book of Job, to help us rejoice in this month of Thanksgiving. We're celebrating Thanksgiving throughout this month at sermonaudio.com forward slash Whitcomb and facebook.com forward slash Whitcomb Ministries. And we invite you to join us there to give thanks. I'll say more about that before we conclude today. But right now, let's turn our attention to Job chapter 1. If you're able, follow along in your Bible as we remember how God gave Satan permission to humble this prosperous man through very severe trials. Today's message is entitled, Thankful for What God Provides. Friends, at this Thanksgiving season, we have so much, so much to be thankful for from the hand of God. One of the most amazing examples of this in all of human history is Job. This is the first book that God ever wrote of the 66 books of the Bible, long before the book of Genesis was written through the hand of Moses. And in this amazing book of Job, we're introduced to a man who, humanly speaking, in the material realm, had everything a human heart could desire. And yet, by the end of chapter 1 of this amazing book, he has lost practically everything he owned. And I say, now, Lord, Teach me something here that will prevent me from having a sinful attitude when I lose something, suffer something, am deprived of something. Help me always to be thankful for everything, including life itself, that comes exclusively from your hand of love and grace and mercy. And so as we turn to Job chapter 1, friends, we see the circumstances of this man of God. There was a man in the land of Uz, which would be today northern Arabia whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. That doesn't mean he was sinless, of course. It means, humanly speaking, he had done nothing wrong to anyone that deserved confrontation or judgment at all. He was, humanly speaking, blameless. All of us, of course, have sinned and come short of the glory of God and the light of God's infinite holiness. Now, Now, look at this perfect family. Seven sons, three daughters were born to him. Uh, Many years later, in the book of Ruth, uh, those who praised uh, Boaz for taking Ruth as his wife said, she is better to you than seven sons, sort of a, a, a number of completeness in the Old Testament. Seven sons and three daughters. And look at, look at all the things he owned in, the, in, the, in his uh, great ranch. His possessions were 7,000 sheep, my, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, that's 1,000 oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. And that man was the greatest of all the men of the east. Now that would be north of the Sea of Galilee, farther eastward toward what we'd call Mesopotamia today. We're not exactly sure where that was located at that time. But this, friends, was long, long, long before even Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, before the patriarchs. No mention in this amazing book, of all the in-depth theology discussed between Job and his so-called friends, no mention of Noah or his sons who were long gone, or Abraham and uh, his family that was yet future, back in the pre-patriarchal era, we'll call this, after the Tower of Babel dispersion. And here he was. Look Look at what his family did. 
And, and look at this little glimpse into this loving family. Look at how the children related to each other. Verse 4. And his sons, that's all seven of them, used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. Isn't that a wonderful picture? And it came about when the days of feasting had completed their cycle. Job would send and consecrate them, rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, perhaps, listen to this, perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This Job did continually. He had amazing spiritual discernment. He's not taking outward circumstances for granted. Outward conformity to the known will of God at that time. He's saying, that's what matters. It's what's in the heart. And that's, of course, what the Lord Jesus explained over and over again. The heart of man, as Jeremiah put it, deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? What a, what a beautiful picture of a family long, long ago. But every once in a while, friends, we see some things that God wants us to know about ourselves that otherwise we wouldn't know, we wouldn't even want to know. And I say, Lord, tell me here, what is this man going to do with you? Verse 6, here's the shocker. All of a sudden, our attention is shifted to the, to the third heaven where God is seated upon his holy throne surrounded by angels. And it came to pass, there was a day when the sons of God, that means angels, B'nai Elohim, we'll see that in chapter 38, verse 7, angels saw the earth being created. Back in Genesis 6, uh, angels, evil, evil angels, demons came into this world to corrupt and desecrate God's image and likeness, mankind. These are angels because they were directly created by God, sons of God, came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. Wow, he still, he still is doing that, friends. And he will continue to do it until the middle of the 70th week of Daniel, yet future, according to Revelation 12. He is accusing the brethren night and day, telling God what he saw, heard us do. But thank the Lord for Jesus who intercedes for us night and day as well. Now, what, what happened when Satan appeared? The Lord said to him, From where do you come? as if God didn't know. This is just giving Satan an opportunity to express himself, you see. He's challenged by God, a restless, ubiquitous being, a vagabond among angels, as someone has said. And Satan answered the Lord, from roaming about on the earth and walking around upon it. Just like today, First Peter 5, 8, he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Why does God even permit him to do this, dear friends? And uh, to test us, that's it. But there's no temptation taken you, God says, but such as is common to man. God is able with a temptation, with a testing, to make a way of escape so we'll be able to bear it. These things are within God's control that we not be tested above what we are able. God is using Satan, you see, to show us we have a choice. We have a choice to love God or to allow Satan to deceive us. And the Lord said to him, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him on earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? He's in this to get something out of you. He doesn't really love you. This is an amazing statement. Listen to this. Hast thou not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But here's the test. 
Here's the test to show you he doesn't really love you. Put forth thy hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse thee to thy face. Just take away the rewards and you'll destroy his reverence. He doesn't really love you. He's in this for what he can get out of you. What an awful accusation. As if God didn't know better. And of course, this is our way of seeing some things about the invisible world around us, friends. The endless conflict between God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and his righteous angels on the one hand, and Satan and his evil fallen angels, demons, on the other. If we just for five minutes had our eyes open to see what's going on in the angelic world, we'd never be the same again. Look at this accusation. Now, friends, aren't you shocked at what God said next? Why didn't God just say to Satan, just please become annihilated, disappear now? Why does God tolerate him to show us something about ourselves and our need for what? Testing, choices, to make a decision as to whom we should really love. We're not robots. We are humans that have his image and light. We have a will, a conscience, a mind, a choice to make. So, of course, God is going to show that to Satan and all the demons and all human beings from that day, thousands of years now. This amazing book of Job is a precious gem of divine revelation of what really makes life the way it is. Verse 12. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. My. And aren't you just imagining how thrilled Satan was to get that permission? He's going to prove something, isn't he? He's going to show something about Job. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. Now it happened on the day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. That is, just after a cycle when Job had offered his sacrifices for them, as we've seen perhaps in verse 8. What happened? A messenger came to Job and said, The oxen, that's 1,500 animals, friends, were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans, a nomadic tribe in northern Arabia at that time, attacked and took them, and they also slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Oh, how sad. That messenger, what a message he had. They're gone. They're all gone. But wait a minute. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep. That's 7,000 sheep, friends, incinerated. And the servants, and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. But wait. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels, 3,000 camels, and took them and slew the, the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. You see how Satan plans this blow upon blow, wave upon wave, not all at once, you see, but so that there can be a build-up to a climax. And surely, surely, Job will curse God when all these things take place. Now, let, wait, we're not done. While he was still speaking, verse 18, another also came and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Uh-oh, what's going to happen to his ten children? I hate to read it, don't you, friends? Verse 19, And behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they died. And I alone have escaped to tell you. 
Oh, friends, uh, Sabaeans, Chaldeans, fire from heaven, a great wind from heaven, combination of the forces of nature and the direct hand of God. And I say, Lord, help me to understand the magnitude of this multiple catastrophe. Surely Job is going to curse God and die. No, no. Amazing end to this chapter, friends. I'm not sure if I'd qualify for this. Would you? Is this what you would do? Is this what I would do? And if that kind of thing happened to me, all children gone, all the animals gone, then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, deliberate, dignified, to show he was indeed devastated and fell to the ground and what? Look at this. And worshipped. Yes, worshipped the Lord. You say, what do you mean he worshipped the Lord? Well, listen to what he said. This is one of the most amazing statements in all the Bible, friends. Naked I came from my mother's womb. I brought nothing into the world. Naked I shall return there. I will take nothing out of the world with me. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Then what? Blessed be the name of the Lord. And friends, at this Thanksgiving time, can we emulate, can we duplicate uh, and, and perpetuate the attitude of Job at the end of chapter 1 of this amazing book? Listen to this. Through all this, all these calamities, all these catastrophes, these losses, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. Now, he, someone has said, and it, I almost believe this, that next to Jesus, Job must surely be the greatest believer in the whole Bible. I mean, look how, look how little he knew about God compared to what we know. I mean, how much of the Bible did he have? Practically nothing. And I say, Lord, with the whole book of Revelation, the capstone of the 66 books of the Bible, I know how the world's going to end. I know that everything that God has given is a cause of thanksgiving and rejoicing and humility. You know, the Lord Jesus made this so clear, didn't he? Uh, listen to what he said in, in the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 12. Uh, someone came to him and said, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. I want my rights. I want my money, my share. But he, Jesus, said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Beware, be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. That was true of Job, wasn't it, friends? I wonder if he had Job in mind when he said that. And he told them a, par a parable, saying the land of a certain rich man was very productive, just like Job. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? Uh, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns, build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Everything is my, my, my. Where is God in here? Soul, you have many goods laid up for you for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Now listen, friends, listen to this one. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And I say, well, thank you, Lord, for telling me you're so gracious the things that really count are not the material things. We live as if that were true, don't we, friends, even Christians? How much more will God have to do to us to get our attention to show us what really matters most of all? 
And so as you look back at Job chapter 1, you say, Now, Lord, what more could you have done for that man, Job? Well, the greatest thing, can I dare say this, friends? Careful now. The greatest thing God could do to him was to take away from him everything he had to show us something that is profoundly important about us and our relationship to God, our Creator. Uh, One doesn't need to curse God because of his inability to comprehend the cause of his calamity, someone has said. Job addresses the mystery of unmerited misery. Well, what do we deserve? You know, another theologian said, when pain does not seem to be punishment for wrongdoing, it is puzzling. That's putting it mildly. He had done nothing wrong. And that's the theme, of course, of much of the book that's to follow when his three friends accused him, you know, of surely you did something wrong. A holy, righteous, all-loving God would never do to you what he's done to you, Job, if you were sinless, if you were faithful, if you had integrity in your heart toward God. Time to confess your sins, Job. Come up with it. Tell us what you did that was wrong. And that's the way we think sometimes, isn't it? That someone dies in an accident, well, he must have done something specially bad. No, 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 no. We can't evaluate God's dealings with people on that basis, can we? I truly believe, friends, that someday in heaven, God will sit us down as his children and say, Dear child, here is why this happened to you, to get your attention, to help you to see reality, things as they really, really are in your life to show you you have very, very good reasons to be thankful for everything that's happened in your life. Really? Yes. All things work together for what? For good to them that love the Lord, who are called according to his purpose. How many things? All things. You know, Job came very close to doing what? To doing what Satan said he would do. He will curse thee to thy face. He came close, but never did what Satan predicted. Now, he asked, why, why, why did this happen to me, as we'll see in chapter 3. But to demand that God answer why, Job did that kind of thing, friends, as we'll see later in chapters 13, 19, and 31, etc. But he never, ever denied the Lord. And I say, Lord, do you have to do these things to me to get my attention? Do you have to take away everything I have to show me what I should have been thankful for? Help me to be thankful for everything that you do in my life life and breath and strength to do anything. And you know, all we have to do is just open both eyes, connect with our brain and look around us and see the terrible situations, friends, that some people are in, circumstances that they must bear. And it's always somebody in a worse case than than I am, than you are. And I say, Lord, I don't want Satan to be accusing me before you for my attitude. I want to be humble. I want to be thankful. I want to be reverent. I want to be ready to learn to do the things of God for your glory. And all around the world, dear friends, we Americans especially need to be very careful. Millions, not exaggerating, millions of Christians in many, many countries around the world, in Asia, Africa especially, are suffering persecution even unto death for their faith in Jesus. Why are we allowed to experience material blessings the way we do here in America? I say, Lord, perhaps it's time for us to be persecuted too, for Satan to take away what we have. And I say, Lord, whatever, this is easier said than done, friends, I admit this, Lord, whatever is best in the light of eternity for me and for your glory, please do that, whatever the cost to me may be. Remember, our Lord is a God of love and never arbitrarily, irrationally mistreats his people. 
not one case anywhere ever in the history of the world. So God, as it were, begins the Bible with an extreme case. You can't find anybody who went through worse circumstances than Job all the way through human history. If Satan was defeated, and he was, but he never repented, Satan didn't say, didn't say to God, oh, you're right, I'm wrong, I'm so sorry, uh, forgive me. No, he never will. But God has told us this for our good, hasn't he? And for his glory, that we might walk in his light, his truth, and his love, in maturity and humility and thankfulness for who he is and all that he's done. Thankfulness for who he is and all that he's done. Indeed, how thankful we ought to be as Christians when we consider what God freely provides. The psalmist wrote, The eyes of all wait upon thee, and thou givest them their meat in due season. Thou openest thine hand, and satisfiest the deepest desire of every living thing. During this month of Thanksgiving, let's remember that God's Word is true from the beginning to the end, and it teaches us to be thankful as we're learning here on Encounter God's Truth. Well, Dr. Whitcomb, someone has written in with a question about the things that Job will receive back from God later at the end of the book after he is afflicted. We read in Job 42, verse 10, The Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends, and the Lord increased all that Job had twofold. Now, this statement speaks about Job's material possessions, and the writer is wondering how it relates to Job's children and the years of his life. Could you please tell us more about that? Thank you, Wayne. That is a fascinating question. And it really is amazing when you see how the amazing book of Job comes to an amazing conclusion. Uh, Of course, God doesn't have to restore every saint that he afflicts. We understand that. He didn't restore the Apostle Paul, John the Baptist. We understand that. But this was a very gracious, gracious act of God for Job to extend his life and to extend his uh, possessions and uh, to extend his family. But do you see that raises a little question, doesn't it? We read in Job 42, verse 12, that the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning, and he had 14,000 sheep, twice as many, 6,000 camels, twice as many, 1,000 yoke of oxen, twice as many, 1,000 female donkeys, twice as many. But wait a minute. Look at this. Verse 13. He had seven sons and three daughters. But you see, that's not twice as many. is it? It's not 14 sons and six daughters. Isn't that amazing? When we stop to think about it, here's the reason. The ones that had died, the ten children that died, were not annihilated like the animals. They were in heaven. So when God gave him seven more sons and three more daughters, he now had, what, fourteen sons and six daughters, half of them in heaven and half on earth. Kind of a resurrection in advance in the kindness of God. Isn't that a beautiful detail there? Thank you, Lord, for that fact. When our loved ones go to heaven... They're not lost. They haven't disappeared. They haven't been annihilated. They're there waiting to see us someday. And someday, friends, we'll be there in God's mercy through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can talk to these uh, uh, ten children that uh, were killed and the additional ten that God gave him, won't we? And what beautiful children they were. The daughters were famous for their beauty and very rare, very unusual. Uh, Their father gave them inheritance among their brothers Numbers 27 tells us how rare that is. If there's no brothers, then the daughters would have an inheritance. But these daughters had brothers and an inheritance. What a tremendous blessing. Now now look for a moment at verse the final couple verses. After this, after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his grandsons four generations. 
Now, may we therefore uh, infer from this that uh, he had lived 70 years, 70, and God doubled his 70 and gave him 140 extra. I think that's a valid assumption here. So that would put him in the realm of the patriarchs, the early patriarchs after the Tower of Babel, who, uh, as we know, some of them lived over 200 years, like the father of Abraham, for example, lived 210, Terah. So I believe that uh, he lived probably uh, 210 years uh, and saw sons and grandsons and and, uh, perhaps even great-grandsons. What a special blessing this was in the life of Job. And I say, Lord, help me to realize that this is a mere token, a little hint of what happens to all of God's people. Uh, Our life won't be doubled. It'll go on forever. When we are glorified, of course, we have uh, an imparted immortality in glory. And I say, thank you, Lord. We'll live for millions of years with you, compared to which our life on earth is a mere speck. And I say, Lord, thank you for that. One day is with the Lord as a thousand years. Thank you, Dr. Whitcomb, for that encouraging answer. This program is a production of Whitcomb Ministries, Incorporated. Please prepare your heart for this important time of year at whitcombministries.org and sermonaudio.com forward slash Whitcomb. And remember to join us at facebook.com forward slash Whitcomb Ministries, where we have a special emphasis on Thanksgiving, including a prompt every day during the season that will help you to give thanks. Now for Dr. John Whitcomb and Wayne Shepherd inviting you to join us next time on Encounter God's Truth when we turn to Job chapter 2 for a message called Thankful for What God Allows.